we're going to start a brand new series that's going to take us up to Easter, the weekend before Easter. And uh, if you have your message notes, grab those. And we're going to look at, we're going to talk about the, the, the seven final words of Christ uh, while he was on the cross. Matter of fact, there are more phrases than just words. Uh, but Jarrett uh, this morning prayed and talked about the fact that there's the power of the cross, that we become more aware of it. Well, not only, not only was what Jesus did on the cross powerful, but what he said was also powerful on the cross. So, And, and we're going to look at it, and, and as I've been, we did this similar kind of series years and years ago, uh, but it's still good, right? <laughs> These are Jesus' words, so we could talk about this every week. Uh, but as I'm going through it, I realize that every one of these seven statements that Jesus made are very deeply and practically theological. I mean, there's some deep theology we're going to dive into that is very powerful for all of us and very practical. It's stuff we, we just not only know, but we use it. It's a part of our life if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. So we're going to dive right in. And what happened is, most of you, many of you know the story. Jesus is hanging on the cross, but, and that's when he makes these statements. But to get there, what happened was, on Thursday night, the week that he died, he was arrested in the evening, and all throughout the night, he faced three illegal, both religiously and, le- and governmentally le- illegal trials. They made they made char- you know, false charges against him, and finally they rallied the people against him, crucify him. So finally he was turned over to the Roman authorities, and he was crucified. And so not only was he beaten and, and whipped and all sorts of things, but they finally nailed him to the cross, and he's hanging there on the cross when he makes these statements. So from, from 9 in the morning on Friday morning, until three in the afternoon when he died, this is when these all took place. So we're going we're gonna to go a little bit in order of what the Gospels share or believe that these, uh, these seven statements were. So let's dive in. Our first, uh, the first one we're going to look at today is a word of forgiveness, it, talking about dealing with the guilt that, we, uh, that all of us are guilty of. We're guilty of guilt. We have guilt, therefore we're guilty, right? Anyways, we'll figure that out. Here's what it says, chapter 23. The crowds trailed along behind him, Jesus, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves. Two Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. Finally, they came to a place called the Skull. It was a little hill outside of the city of Jerusalem, and the reason it... Another name for that was Golgotha, which means a place of the skull. And because the side of the hill looked like the carvings of an actual skull. And it said, all three were crucified, Jesus at the center and the two criminals on either side. Then Jesus said, here's the words we're going to look at today. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. As the crowd stood watching, the leaders laughed and scoffed at Jesus. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself, if he really is God's chosen one, the Messiah. The soldiers mocked him too, and he offered him a drink of sour wine. 
They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. So all this is happening within moments of Jesus hanging on the cross. Yet, in that moment, he looks, at, he looks down at them and he says, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. These are, Father, forgive them, are probably the most powerful and necessary words that Jesus ever spoke while he was here on this earth and how they affect every one of us. But think about this. This was moments, I mean moments after Jesus had been beaten, he had been slapped, he had been whipped within inches of his life, he was made to carry his own cross part of the way to Calvary, he was nailed to the cross, excruciating pain of crucifixion. Hanging on the cross, and the first thing he says, Father, forgive them. I'm, I'm going, I, I, I couldn't do that, could you? Yet Christ did that. And it's interesting because he did it before they even acknowledged anything. They didn't, they weren't feeling guilty about what they did. They were just following orders. They were doing what they were supposed to do. And they didn't apologize. They didn't look up. Matter of fact, they were still scoffing and making fun of him. So before any of this happened, before they did anything positive toward him, he said, Father, forgive them. And you know, you think about that, and that's what Jesus did, and he does for every one of us. Jesus forgave you before you even knew you needed forgiving. And we're going to talk about all that today. Because forgiveness from God is the one thing that you and I need the most, yet it's one of those things that we can't do on our own. You can't forgive your own sin against God. Only Jesus can do that. Only the Father can do that. And, and, and God's forgiveness is a remedy for a disease that plagues every human being. And that disease is called sin and guilt. The guilt comes from the sin that we commit when we disobey the Father. Now, what is guilt? Okay, well, guilt is um, it, it's, it's when you have done something wrong. You've committed an offense or a sin, and therefore you are guilty of doing something you shouldn't have done. Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever had guilt? Okay, it's really everybody. Trick question, but all of us, okay? Now, so here's the thing. Whether you felt guilty about something that you've done wrong or not, usually eventually we do, right? Guilt isn't based on feeling. It's based on fact. If you have done something wrong, you have sinned against God, you've done something against the Word of God, you are guilty the moment you do it. Now, you may not realize it for a while. The mo the, that feeling of guilt might take a little while, but when it kicks in, you're going, okay, yeah, you're right. I, I really shouldn't have done that. I really messed up. And when we do it with other people as well, you say something, you do something that offends or hurts or messes up somebody else's life. 
you have guilt, or you should. <laughs> and what do you do? Well, those things you can make right. You can go to that person and make that right with them. You can confess it to them. But you can't make right your own guilt when it comes to your relationship and, and sinning against God himself. So, Jesus asked them, he asked the Father, Father, forgive them. And the reason this is important is because he says the same thing to the Father about you. You may not, you didn't, obviously, you didn't put Jesus on the cross physically. But you're still guilty. We all have guilt in our lives that we can't deal with on our own. And it seems like the more we try, the worse it gets. And we get disappointed. We get discouraged. We, all, all sorts of things happen. But bef because Jesus said this for us, that's why we're all here today. My prayer is, is that every one of us would understand at a deeper level and experience that forgiveness of God that came when Jesus died on the cross. The moment Jesus hung there and died on the cross is the moment that he died for your sins, for your forgiveness, to take away your guilt, your sin, and your shame. Okay, you've heard that. We talk about it a lot, but we're going to dive into that one this morning and what it really means for us. So we're going to look at three, three major things. Number one, what do we usually do when we feel guilty? If we don't go to God, what do we try to do with it? Uh, the next one is what Jesus wants us to do. And then the last one is we're going to look at, well, what does Jesus do with our guilt when we, when we come to him? So number one is this. In your notes, let's dive right in. What do we use? How do we try to take care of our guilt that we, that we have that comes from sin against God? Number one, we often try to bury it. Okay, by bury it, I mean you, you hide it. Okay, you, you try to get it out of your mind. You try to get it out of sight. You think, well, if I don't think about it, then it must not be there. <laughs> right? Well, the problem is guilt doesn't die. It doesn't go away. There's no expiration date on guilt. Okay, it's always, and the more you try to bury it, the more it raises its little ugly head and go, hey, I'm still here. Good try. It's not working. I'm not going away on my own. Here's what it says in Psalm 32. It says, When I refused to confess my sin, I was weak and miserable, and I groaned all day long. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins, and you stopped trying to, and I stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is what? It's gone. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be amazing? If you wake up tomorrow morning and you have this sense that all of the guilt, all of the shame, all the remorse, all the regret that you've been carrying all these years or maybe even from today or yesterday, you wake up and go, because of what you did, because of what Christ did, it's there's nothing there anymore. 
It's complete. I feel free. Well, that's what can happen when you take it to Jesus. Now, what are, what are some ways that we usually try to bury it? Well, one is we minimize it. We try to convince ourselves it wasn't that bad. Really, it was just something really small. And by the way, it was so long ago, I'm pretty sure that guilt has wore off. <laughs> well, here's the thing. The fact that you're still talking about it means it didn't go away. And it's not minimized. If it's still on your mind, it's still something to deal with. It's something that has not gone away, and, and uh, it will still be there. The no, no, another one is rationalizing it. You ever find yourself saying, you, you, feel, you did something, you feel guilty, and you're going, and you really don't want to fess up to it, right? Our, our human nature doesn't want to do that. But you're going, well, everybody else is doing it. It can't be that bad if everybody's doing it which seems to be a doctrine of our culture these days, right? As if there's a point where if enough people do it, it's okay. I, I want to make a very emphatic statement, and you can take it home with you. Sin is sin. Is sin, no matter how many people are doing it no matter how many people try to justify it. God's word is true, and it will never not be. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, inside this building, I think we have a... Con th this isn't always true outside of this building as far as what people believe. It doesn't matter if everybody else in the world is doing it. If it is wrong, it is wrong no matter what you try to tell yourself. Another one is we, we compromise. If you've been doing something long enough and you don't, you don't clear it up, you don't take care of it, you don't deal with it, what happens after a while is you, you've tried. You know, you've, you, you, you know, you've tried to confess it, you've tried to do all, do all these things, but if you do it long enough, there's something inside of you that says, you know what? I can't stop doing this. Therefore, I'm just going to have to live with it. And we convince ourselves. And we try to justify it. That as if, if, as if when I do it long enough, it's, it's okay to keep doing it, right? The problem is, here's the thing. If you need to justify something, it's still there. It doesn't go away. No, there's no time limit on it. So the thing is this. Proverbs 28 says this. If you hide your sins, you will not succeed. Uh, probably if you've been in church for a while, you've heard the, the King James Version of this verse that says, Be sure your sins will find you out. Anybody ever hear that one? Okay, your parents probably told you that when you were a kid, right? Um, we all heard that. But here, you know, and we, we have mixed interpretations of this, but the actual interpretation or the actual words of this verse actually have a comma in there where many translations don't. And it, it would actually say, to be sure, comma, your sins will find you out. In other words, it means sort of the same thing, but it, it 
Just know this. If you try to hide the guilt of anything you've done, it's going to get found out. And you're sitting there going, you know, I think we all do at some point. We go, boy, I hope that one never becomes public. I won't ask for a raise of hands. But we have those, right? <laughs> I hope nobody ever finds out about that one. Well, the only way that you can be free from that feeling is if you bring it to the light, you deal with it. We're going to talk about how you do that. That way you never have to worry about that. Even if it does come to the light, it's taken care of. I have no more guilt about that one. All right, second thing we tend to do is we tend to blame others. All right, we try to bury it. We blame others. Now, this one isn't new. This started back in Genesis chapter 3. All right, Adam and Eve. Um, God created Adam, put him in this wonderful garden, said, Adam, all this here is available to you, all the trees, all the fruit, all the vegetation. Man, enjoy yourself. But just one thing, there's this really cool tree that has some awesome fruit in the middle of the garden. Do not eat of the fruit. Well, he, he tells Eve, as she comes along, look, God said we can eat from all these other things, but don't eat of that fruit. Well, guess what? The devil comes along, all disguised as a snake. He tempts Eve, said, hey, did God really, you know, we know that we don't go on all the details. Well, anyway, she gave in to the temptation. She eats the fruit. She takes the fruit to Adam and said, hey, I, it, it's not that big of a deal. It's really good stuff. You ought to try some. So he did. And all of a sudden, Adam felt guilt the first time Ever in the history of mankind, Adam disobeyed and he felt guilt. God comes to him and he says this. Uh, he said, Adam, what's going on? Why are you trying to hide? Did you eat from that tree? And he says this in Genesis 3.12. He says, it was the woman that you put here with me, the man said. She gave me the fruit, some of the fruit, and I ate it. <laughs> so what does Adam do like any guy does? It's her fault. If you wouldn't have given me her, it would be, everything would be fine, right? And so we still do. That's just, we, just, we want to blame other people for what we have done. It's always somebody else's fault, all right? Kids blame parents. Parents blame, blame kids. Spouses blame each other. Employees blame the boss. The boss blame the employees. All, it just goes down the line. Nobody wants to take responsibility for what they've done. As long as I can deflect... As long as I can accuse somebody else and excuse my own behavior, <laughs> there's, I, I don't have guilt. Why would I feel guilty for something you made me do after all, right? So why, why do we do this is because guilt never wants to own up where it came from. It doesn't, and we participate in that. Proverbs 19.3 says this, People's own foolishness ruins their lives, but in their minds they blame whom? The Lord. Now, what does this mean? Well, it's a progression. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna cross the bridge and go to this one because the more that you blame others for your faults, for your behavior, for whatever it is, you, you know, you, you just, it's their fault. I didn't do it. They made me do it. Whatever. I'm in this situation because of them. It eventually crosses the bridge, and now you blame God. 
sort of like Adam did. He blamed the woman, but he also blamed God. God, if you, that woman that you gave me, she made me do it. So he's saying, look, it's her fault, but God, it's your fault because you gave it her to me. So if you would have never given her to me, she would have never made me eat the fruit. Some of you this morning, you are carrying with you guilt and you're blaming God. God, if you would have, I wouldn't have had to. God, if you wouldn't have done this, then I'd be in a different situation. It's time to stop blaming God. It's time to stop blaming others. And it's time to start taking responsibility. Now, the third thing we do oftentimes is we beat ourselves up over it. Okay, maybe we don't bury it maybe we don't blame someone else but we we sort of take it all on ourselves and and we just we let things pile up in our lives and we go oh man I can't do anything right look at me I'm a big mistake I do nothing but make mistakes and I can't get it God I can't get anything right and before we know it we're carrying this huge load of guilt and shame and remorse and regret and it's weighing us down Here's what it says in, uh, in Psalm 38, verse 4 to 6. My guilt has overwhelmed me. Like a load, it weighs me down. Because I was foolish, and I am bent over and bowed down. I am sad all day long. See, when we hang on to guilt, and we keep... We have one, then we hang on to another one, and we hang on to another one, and another one. Pretty soon, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the connection that there is between our, our body and our soul and our spirit. Well, if in your soul, your heart, your mind, your will, your emotions, you hang on to all the weight of all of the guilt, you just take all the guilt on yourself. After a while, you're just... It's heavy. <laughs> you know, I, I, I can't stand it anymore. What happens? Your body begins to feel it because it turns into discouragement. It turns into depression and all the things that come with that. It turns into resentment. Yourself, others, God, and pretty soon there's bitterness. Many, many Doctors will tell you, medical professionals, when they see people come into the hospital in, in serious medical conditions, yeah, they're, they're suffering medically, physically. But when you get to the root of it, many of them will say, you know what? If they would have gone to counseling, to therapy, or if they're Christian doctors... <laughs> If they'd have gone to Jesus, they wouldn't be having these physical problems right now. It's all connected, folks. So much of what we're dealing with physically is because we're trying to carry a weight. The weight of sin, the weight of guilt, the weight of shame. That Jesus said, why are you doing that? Why are you holding on to all that stuff? I took care of it when I was hanging on the cross. 
Just come to me. I'll take care of all that. But even, us, even for those of us who are Christians, we still will hang on to things and we'll wonder, why am I so discouraged? Why am I dealing with depression? Why this? Why that? And Jesus says, over here, <laughs> I can help you with that. Let's work on this one together. So what does he do? What does Jesus want us to do with our guilt? Okay, this is what we tend to do. We want to bury it, blame others. We want to carry it all on ourselves, beat ourselves up over it. Well, let's start with John, 1 John 1.8. And it says this. It says, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves. In other words, we're lying <laughs> to ourselves. And we're not living in the truth. Okay, so that's the foundation. If you, if you would say, you know what, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks, Pastor, for the encouragement this morning. But you know what? I don't have any sin or guilt to deal with. You're lying. <laughs> Sorry, you're just telling you the truth. Now, you may not have it at the moment, but you have, you, you have messed up. And there has been guilt. So what do we do with it? Number one. If, you have, if this morning you would say, I'm, I'm really struggling, what do I do with this guilt that I'm carrying? Number one, you admit. We admit what we've done. And we do it very specifically. We face it head on. Because until you admit, any, any person who's gone through any kind of addiction, any kind of recovery, any kind of situation that you move ahead and be free from, you know the number one step is to simply admit. You admit your feelings. You admit where you're at. You admit what you've done to get there. You admit it. You face it head on. And until you do that, you're never going to change. You're never going to be free. And you're never going to be forgiven. As much as you try all the, other th all the other things, even if they sound good, until you personally admit, you come to the point of saying, okay, I'm going to stop blaming anybody else. I'm going to stop trying to bury it. I'm going to stop, you know, just trying to carry all this weight. I did it. <laughs> I'm guilty. Here's what I did. Just admit it. Proverbs 20, verse 27 says this. The Lord's light penetrates the human spirit, exposing every hidden motive. In other words, when you come to the point of admitting it, you're also sort of inviting you're inviting the light of Jesus Christ to shine on your, on your life, on your heart, on your soul. And you're saying, God, show me anything. There's several verses. Search me, O God, know my heart, my soul, my, my thoughts, all that. Show me those things. And, and we, we invite the examination of the Holy Spirit and say, God, if there's anything here, show me. And then when he shows you, you Deal with it. You admit it. You confess it. You, you hit it head on. Because some of our sins, some of the things you feel guilty about this morning, you already know. <laughs> As we've been talking today, you're going, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I probably would take care of those. So we know those. We, we, we have a, plenty of those, right? But how about the things that maybe we're not that aware of anymore? They're, they're sort of under the surface, and, and if somebody were to tell you, remember that, you go, oh, yeah, 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 I, I, it's, I remember that now. I, I still feel it, just there's so many other things 
before that. And here's the thing. When God brings up something very specific, you confess it and admit to it very specific. Not just, okay, Lord, all the things I've ever done wrong in my life, I admit it and forgive me. If you committed them specifically, you confess them specifically, whatever they might be. Bring them into the light. The second thing, okay, I admit, and next thing is I accept responsibility for it. Now, here's the thing. When you are confronted with guilt and when you are come face to face with something that you've done that's either wrong or bad or it's sin, whatever it is, and you say, yes, I did it, but in your mind you're going, but. If you add that word to whatever you just said, I did it, but, you are not taking responsibility for it. You're trying to justify, yeah, I did it, but I had a good reason for doing it. Or, God, you don't understand the circumstance that made me want to do that. Or you don't know the pressure I was under. And you just keep going. You cannot add the word but to, yes, I did it. I did it, exclamation point. You take responsibility for it. Because the truth is this, you will do wrong things. You will sin. Perfection is not the issue. The only time you will never do anything wrong is when you leave this earth and you're in the presence of Jesus. Until then, we all have that potential and that possibility. The issue is, what do you do with it when it's been revealed to you that you need to take care of something. That's the issue. A great example of this is in the Old Testament. Uh, we won't go into all the details, but uh, King David. King David, a man after God's own heart. He loved the Lord, did a lot of great things. Uh, he messed up a couple times. One of those times you're going, <gasps> and God still loved him? Yeah, he, it, it, right in the city of David, he had a palace. It's just outside of Jerusalem. Some of you have been there and seen this. He had, he had this big, you know, kingly palace, and, and he was, had a big rooftop. And in that area, it's up on a hill, and it overlooks a valley. And during that time, he could oversee all the other houses, the whole city around him. And one day, he's up there just going, oh, God, you're so good. Oh, look at there, Lord. She looks pretty good. There's a woman on her rooftop taking a bath. And he goes, hey, AIDS, bring her here. <laughs> we want to have a talk. Well, they bring her. He commits adultery with her. She gets pregnant. And he goes, uh-oh, now what are we going to do? Hey, hey, aid, come here. Could you have the general of the army assign her husband to the front lines of the battle? And he did, and he gets killed. So not only does David commit adultery, he commits murder by having her husband killed. So he has this guilt he's carrying around, right? Well, the prophet, the prophet of God comes before David one time. And he says, David, I want to tell you a story. He tells him a story, and in the story, David, David identified with. Not knowingly, he said, 
the person in that story, they're the bad person. They shouldn't have done this. And Nathan goes, David, that guy's you. You have everything in the world that you could ever want, yet you went and you stole that, that man's wife from her, and you had him killed. And David was like, oh, oh I'm so sorry. Look at the next verse in Psalm 50, 51, 3. He says this, this is his, he repented, and he says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. In other words, he says, I am aware of my sins and I take responsibility. You want to know how David became a man after God's own heart? Is when he messed up, he fessed up and he owned up to what he did. He didn't try to hide it. That's what we need to do. When you have guilt, when you have sin, when you have things in your life that you feel guilt about, <laughs> you admit them, you accept responsibility for them, and we own up to them. James 5.16 says this, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now that confess your sins to each other, I know we look at that and go, I ain't going to tell everybody everything that I've done. Well, the literal translation of that is admit your faults to one another, especially the things that you have done against other people. In other words, when you, when you sin against God, you have to go to God. You have to admit, you have to confess before Him. There's nobody else, including you, can, can take that guilt away. But when you have said something, you've done something, you've hurt somebody else, you've offended them, now you have guilt and you say, you know what, I, just, I shouldn't have said that to them. I feel so bad because now, look, they're struggling with this. I made them really mad or I offended them. That's also guilt, but you can deal with that by going to them. Confess your faults. Admit your faults to one another. When you do, you can clear it up. There's forgiveness and healing. But it also comes when, when you go to God for forgiveness, and, but then you process that, you share it with others, there's also healing that comes with that for yourself. Number three, third thing we need to do, Jesus wants us to do, is ask forgiveness. Very simply, we ask forgiveness. And this comes right out of probably one of the most powerful and hopeful promises of God in the whole entire Bible. 1 John 1, 9. If you have never memorized this verse, put it at the top of your list. I encourage you to do this. It says, when... It says, but if we confess our sins to him, to God, he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness or all wrongdoing or all unrighteousness. Now, it's a very, it's a very simple verse, but it is powerful. Let me explain a little bit. What does it all mean? It means you don't have to beg 
You don't have to beg God for forgiveness. God, I know it was horrible what I did. I just, I just, you know, I, did, I know I went through this yesterday, and I just, I just still feel so bad about this. God, I did this, and, and I just, oh, God, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. And God's going, I did the first time you said something. You can stop now. The moment you confess is the moment you're forgiven. And he doesn't require penance. You don't have to do penance for something you've done. It's forgiven. You simply agree with God. You confess it. And when you do, now what does confess mean? It just means agree with God. When you go to God and say, God, I just, I, I messed up. I did this. Okay, I know in the Bible you say not to do this, but I did it. And I, I'm just, I confess it. And, and, God's, and you just say, God says, I agree with that. You did, and you're forgiven. And God doesn't scold you for it. God doesn't rub it in. He doesn't hold it against you. He wipes it out. It is gone. Instantly, just like that. Romans 3, 23 and 24 says this. All of us have sinned. Then it says, all fall short of the glory of God. But then it says, yet God declares us not guilty if we trust in Jesus Christ who in mercy freely takes away our sins. I'm going, wow, this is what God has done and he continues to do for us. So when we admit it, when we accept responsibility, we ask forgiveness, then what does Jesus, what's his part in all of this? We know he died on the cross. We know he spoke, you know, forgive them, Father. But what, what does he do the moment we do all these things? Number one, write this in your notes, is that Jesus forgives instantly. He does it instantly. The moment you confess is the moment that you're forgiven. I mean, it's just that quick. It says this in Isaiah 55, 7. The Lord is merciful and quick to forgive. How long does all this take? How long does it take for you to be forgiven? About 10 seconds. The amount of time that it takes for you to become aware of your sin, for you to admit it to God, and for you to accept his forgiveness. It, that's it. It's not an over and over and over and over again kind of a deal. Matter of fact, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the longest amount of time you should carry any guilt is about 10 seconds. Every moment. Tomorrow, you mess up. Okay, we're, we're going, we just do that, right? We're human beings. We don't get it all right all the time. You mess up. You feel the guilt from it right away. You admit it to God right away. You confess it, and boom, it's gone, and you've accepted. We're off and going. Ten seconds. It's that instant. It's that powerful. It's, and the next thing is Jesus forgives completely. All right? You can depend on He does it instantly. It's complete. It's not a partial forgiveness. He says, well, you didn't quite say it right, so I'm only going to half forgive you. Okay? It's, it's not a little bit. It's not some. The truth is. And here, here's why we can claim these promises. is because your guilt has already been paid for. When you confess, Jesus doesn't have to climb back on the cross and go, oh, another one. Okay, here we go. He died, the Bible says, once for all for all sins, past, present, and future. So think about this. Everything that needs to be done for you to be saved, 
for you to be forgiven, for you to get a fresh start, and you to have a home in heaven. It's already been done on, on God's part, on Jesus' part. The only thing left is you. For you to reach out, to confess it, to receive it, and apply it to your life. That's it. That's all that's left to do. So why are you walking around with guilt and shame in your life? <laughs> it's not God's fault. It's you. You have yet to let it go. You have yet, yet to bring it before God and, and let God deal with it. Colossians 3, uh, 2, 13. I love the, these verses. It says, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive in Christ, with Christ and he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. Notice all these things that God has done. All these verbs are past tense. They've already happened. <laughs> they don't need to happen again. Christ died once for all. And he took it away. They're already done. And the thing is this. This is why this is so important. All it comes down to maybe, for some of you, this one concept. If you don't understand this process and the power of forgiveness and what Jesus has done, then you're going to tend to think that all of the bad things that happened to you are God still punishing you for what you did? You ever feel that? Well, this, this happened in my life, and God must, God must still be making me pay for that thing. He doesn't do that. If you've con Jesus died for your sins, for your guilt, you confess it to him, it's done. It's erased. It's gone. Matter of fact, it also tells us that the punishment for your sins, everything that you deserve when you've done wrong, you deserve punishment for it. Guess what happened to it? It was nailed to the cross. When Jesus died, the punishment of your sins was nailed with him. It's done. So if, you're, if you feel like you're being punished for something you've done and you know you've confessed it, it's not God. It's not Him at all. Maybe it's something you're doing. Maybe it's something someone else did. Or maybe it's just life itself. But God's not holding anything against you anymore which takes us to the third one, is that Jesus forgives freely. Repeatedly and freely. Every time you confess, even if it's 35 times a day, <laughs> you're forgiven 35 times a day. If you, keep, if you keep confessing the same thing, you messed up 10 years ago and you keep confessing that, <laughs> God says... Just the one time was enough. Maybe you need some healing. Maybe you need a different perspective now. It says this in Ephesians 1.7. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son. And he forgave our sins. That is the message of the cross. 
Okay, It's the message that Jesus spoke while he was on the cross, but it's also the message of the cross. Jesus died to forgive every one of us of our sins, once and for all. So when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, he was talking about the people right in front of him, but he was talking about you as well. Every one of us here this morning, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> I would say amen to that one, right? Last verse. So what is the result of all this? Well, Psalm 32 says it this way. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is what? Forgiven. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of what? Guilt. <laughs> what joy. That's for every one of us here this morning. You can walk out of this place this morning with a skip and a hop and a song in your heart going, Hallelujah, praise God, I'm forgiven, I am free. Jesus took it all from me and for me. He's already done that. But there's only one thing that needs to happen between here and that feeling of joy is that you confess. You simply tell God, God, here's what I did. Thank you for forgiving me. You accept responsibility, you admit it, and then you ask that forgiveness.